Howdy do, kids. Welcome to NXT eight years back. We're talking NXT for March the 2nd, 2016. I have been saying that pretty soon I will get to the end of my time in Arizona eight years back. And um, and this week I decided to look because I knew it had to be close. And this is it, folks. This is my last NXT in Arizona eight years back. And it kind of threw me because, like, the reason I decided to look is last night I went down a rabbit hole looking at stuff about Prince, um, one of Minnesota's heroes, and uh, and was one of my favorite musical acts. Even when I was so young, I didn't even know he was from here. Uh, yeah, uh, so I always knew, and I'm doing air quotes that you can't see, uh, that I came here and he died eight days later. Well, it was 36 days, exactly 36. I have no idea where the false memory of eight came from. It's not even a week. It's eight days. It's really specific. Why do I have that memory? It doesn't make any sense. Maybe it was eight days before I was going to go to a thing where he could have been. I don't know. Um, but it's wrong. I came here 36 days later. He died. Um, never saw him. And, uh, and I think about that like once a week but this is it folks this is my last nxt in phoenix eight years back we were all excited that this could be the nakamura moment but in my head i was like but i'm pretty sure i saw that in my friend's basement when i lived there for a month at the beginning of my time in minnesota um or a couple of months and yes so there was a different major international signing that uh that when it happened i i laughed out loud i'm kelly wells you can find me uh on social media at spooky milk tom yes and of course we as we recalled last week the nakamura uh not really the nakamura announcement i guess uh happens very differently is teed up very differently and happens at full sale not at ucf this also being the final ucf episode and uh i'd I'm tempted to roast you for making it Kelly eight years back again, but I have my own little preamble here. We'll see what's actually worth it. Um, Last night, as we record, I drove past Camping World Stadium, home of two different WrestleManias. I was at the one that was held there in 2008, uh, which is also the one that in the era of WWE that we're covering and for quite some time, uh, they had an aerial shot showing the fireworks going off over the arena uh, at the beginning of every single episode. So every every single time I see that, I'm like, hey, I was there. Kind of like every time in a Rhea Ripley video package, they show her winning the NXT championship. I can see my, you know, hand in the background because they, they invited us all into the ring. And I was like, I don't know. I guess I'll just like throw up the devil horns. And and there they are behind Rhea every time. Um, But driving past there to get to the Kia Center, where my daughter's chorus group was singing the national anthem before the Magic Nets game. And the Kia Center, formerly the Amway Center, every time I drive by it, I think, yep, that's where... And I've, I've been there for a couple other events before, of course, but uh, I always think that's where Triple H won his last world championship. And when I was there for the Magic game, during one of the timeouts, what did they play, Kelly? Welcome to my house, which you said last week is a perfect arena song. And there it was. And, uh, yeah, you know, I was also very tangentially surprised that, I mean, I haven't, I guess I haven't ever been to a 
an NBA game. I've been to plenty of MLB games, a couple of NFL games, never NBA. Apart from during the free throw, free throws, they they play music the entire time. There is always music playing. This is not news to me. I go to about four to six a year. Um, yeah, that's standard practice. I've been to many here, and I went to a handful in Phoenix, and uh, and it is universal. It is um, it is constant engagement, uh, and there you don't. They try not to let you get bored um, play, between playing music and then bringing out things where guys are jumping off of uh, yeah. trampolines to jam, um, guys on stilts, yep. women on unicycles. Um, these are all real things. I'm not I'm not just saying like I've seen all this um, and I yeah, saw you may have saw seen my post group. I did. Yeah. And I've seen that group before. Um, they travel around. They're just like, it, it's very early 1900s entertainment where they're just traveling from, um, market to market for people who have not seen them before. Um, there's a lot of those in the, in the NBA also. I love, love, love going to NBA games. Um, yeah, it was yeah. almost easy to forget there was even a game going on. Of course, it it th- that was aided by the fact that it was that it was not a very competitive game. The Magic was always up by like thirty to forty points, and they they you know got the the, the most exciting thing was when they finally got over a hundred, and we we're like, ooh, they're over a hundred <laughs> points, wow! Uh, but yeah, those stilts guys. My my post was like, I, I'm just imagining. That because they came out in the fourth quarter during a timeout, and I was like, I'm just imagining that maybe there wasn't a fourth quarter timeout, and those guys are just back there on their stilts, like, yep, yep, yeah, all in a day's work, boys. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, they did come out at the end and they danced with the Papa John's Pizza Slice, who was uh, really a spotlight hog. But uh, but yeah, it was it was an experience, and it was really cool to to bring my son there to uh, to have my daughter singing the uh, the national anthem, and funny that. It was on. It all took place on my partner's birthday, and she was the one person who wasn't there. She was not able to come, so we're gonna celebrate that a different way, different day. Uh, I did want to. Just one of those things that since I no longer cover contemporary wrestling on the torch, uh, every once in a while something strikes me enough that I want to comment on it. I uh, wondered and, if this would. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, from last I night. Wa- ooh. Oh God, no! I I want to avoid talking about that. I w- wait. Am I mistaken? Were there Okada chants? Did this loser come back and he got greeted by the fans, thinking he was about to be somebody else? Um, I would hope a lot of people didn't think this was going to be Okada <laughs> anymore because the um the news is out there. But I was I'm so baffled by the way that this went that now. Okada, like, this thing that was seemingly teasing a Japanese person, and it turned out to be Sean Spears, and then, on top of which, it looked like Dragunov was going to have an opponent in, uh, I would have said Okada, but but instead it's Tony Hmm. D'Angelo? It feels like they thought they were going to get Okada, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would hope that they were not teasing him without having him. But uh, but then I started going off into a thing like, Okada, what are you thinking? 
<laughs> are you watching what's happening over there? Maybe he's not. I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I wonder that about just about everybody. The only person who's gone over there and granted somebody who's very good at putting these sorts of speeches out there, but the, the only person that I've been like, oh, OK, I guess I get why you wanted to do it was edge uh, i i read his reasoning on instagram and i was like all right i guess i get it mr teaching the younglings altruistic adam guy uh no uh we, we'll we'll get to this episode of nxt and uh, <laughs> this is maybe the, our, our longest preamble ever oh, and i already told there. kelly I think we're there yeah yep. i i already told kelly like i actually took a lot of notes on this episode um i just wanted to point out that there are many reasons why I felt the Elimination Chamber show was really, really good. Uh, Triple H's destination pay-per-views have been excellent uh, pretty much across the board. Clash at the Castle, uh, Backlash in Puerto Rico, uh, really, really special events. Randy freaking Orton. I... I, I used to hate the guy, and, and I've, I've learned to respect him in recent years, and now I just... he I find him to be inspiring. Um... I have mentioned on here many times how I will pretty routinely get emotional watching women's wrestling, uh, climaxes, storylines, performances, whatever. I think the only time I ever got emotional watching men's wrestling is when the, the, the same time that all of us did, the, the Randy Savage and, and Miss Elizabeth uh, reuniting. Um, I was getting emotional watching Orton perform in that elimination chamber after missing a year and a half due to back issues. I don't know exactly what kinds of back issues, but I deal with bad back issues. I have six hernias from my neck to my, to my, all the way to the tailbone. Uh, the worst ones are in the lower back, of course. And when he hit that draping DDT and immediately started wincing, I recognized the body language. I knew I like, I know that pain. I know exactly what he was feeling. I know exactly what he was fighting through. And not a single person, especially not someone like me who knows that pain, would have blamed him for saying, all right, guys, just eliminate me now. I'm done. I'm out of here. Orton also knows his body very well, and he's been dealing with this rehab for uh, a year and a half. And and incidentally, just gave an interview like 12 hours before re-aggravating something. Uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I recognize what it is, but I'm not trying to diagnose on a do an armchair diagnosis here. Um, he was saying, like, being in the elimination, being booked in the elimination chamber is not good news for me. It's the, the most the highest probability in our calendar that I have to get injured. And and, and here we are. Um, he He probably knows well enough that if it is what I think it is based on his body language, that it's outpatient surgery and pretty, pretty quick rehab um but my goodness just to see him economize what he was doing and still fight just to be able to get a vertical base to to still hit the stuff he needed to hit in the match and be there right up until the end to set up his wrestlemania feud i i was so inspired being someone who again knows the pain that he was feeling right there uh and and to see him still you know, go through with everything. I just, I felt strongly enough about it that I wanted to put that out there. I get emotional during wrestling way more often than I would like to admit. Um, if someone has like their big, big career moment, or even sometimes a match that 
they're just not going to win. Uh, main event of like night seven of best of the super juniors a few years ago when Rocky Romero beat El Fantasmo. I start crying happy tears and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I? I, I have no idea. I don't decide when, folks. I don't cry in life like ever. Like members of my family die, and I'm fairly stoic. Like I'm yeah. very sad, but I'm stoic. You and I are you and I are similar there. It's movies that get me. Even like yeah. even sometimes movies that I'm not liking, and then the tiniest little scene happens, and I'm like, oh god. Uh. Yeah, right. Like why? I guess. I mean, I think it's because we're sociopaths. Um, right, Tom? I mean, is that bingo? That's mine, right? So yeah. I, I think it's probably worth. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of tangents, but, I mean, I don't want to deny you this opener. Tucker Knight and Hugo Knox versus the Vaude Villains. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I cried during this one because finally seeing Hugo Knox again was was very emotional. He, uh, I did not really, folks. So, Hugo Knox, uh, big buff dude um, with... Tiny white polka dots on purple trunks. Uh, This is one of the most built dudes they've used on this brand. To the point where, for me, it almost doesn't work seeing him in in an enhancement setting. Uh, But very funny seeing him teaming with the bell-shaped Tucker Knight. Um, Kind of, just kind of a funny, funny teaming. Uh, I don't think we've seen Tucker Knight, and I'm almost positive we haven't seen Hugo, Hugo Knox. Although, Hugo Knox has been here for three years. Uh, he's a former footballer, footballer, um, played soccer uh, around Europe for about seven years. His name is Stuart Tomlinson. And yeah, he trained there for a long time. Um, I, I, will, I would call his performance a lot of... A lot of overselling. Um, like he, this, he sold this like insane agony on relatively everyday moves. Um, I guess you want to do too much rather than too little because at least the directors, I say directors because, you know, acting have somewhere to go with it. But yeah, it's, it, he, he oversold a lot. But, uh, I'm sure the VOD villains weren't complaining about that. The Vaudevillains are into their latest heel turn where they just started sneering, and that was the heel turn, and they stopped talking. Um, Gotch already wasn't talking much, if at all, uh, and now they are not talking at all. Uh, Stuart Tomlinson, a.k.a. Hugo Knox, will leave the company in September 30th, 2016, and call it a career from there. This is not what he does anymore. And... uh, Vaudevillains win at 3.30 with the Whirling Dervish, Tom. Yep, that's about all there is to dig up on Hugo Knox, at least as far as I also found. And uh, I didn't mind seeing someone someone with his physique in this position because his body looked to me like somebody who focuses on the aesthetics of bodybuilding, but not the practical application of actually working a match. So, I don't know, I didn't have a psychological disconnect there. I thought it was nice that they wore polka dot trunks, because even though purists don't want to associate Dusty with the polka dots, I mean, it seems like that 
that probably had to be an inspiration in this case. Um, they're trying to get the vaudevillains over as heels when they were one of the most popular babyface acts for their brief, relatively brief babyface run. And I'm not, I, I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm dissing the concept of enhancement matches because obviously I'm not. But when you've got Tucker Knight and Hugo Knox out there and basically the summation of what they're doing as baby faces is building to a hot tag and then Tucker Knight, whom nobody knows, goes out there and goes, come on, and gets no response. That's not helping the vaudevillains get over his heels. There's nothing about Hugo Knox and Tucker Knight that's endearing us to to them to then not like the vaudevillains for beating them clean. Um, and the vaudevillains, like, sure, they're being a little more sneery, but it's not that different from the, their babyface act and their heel act is not that different. Um, so I don't know, like the crowd cheers and I'm like, yeah, I get it. If you liked them going into this event, you're not going to change your mind. So it's still not working. And I don't remember who they're building up. The, the VOD villains are so close to a call up. Who are they building them up to put over? I can't remember. Um, I think they're building them up for a call-up. I, I don't know. I mean, I hope this isn't just to put over the hype, bros. Uh, I I don't know. I think I, they're close to their call-up, I think. So, I, I don't know. I, I got nothing yeah. else. Do you, have, do you have anything else on this one? I know there's uh, so much no. gold to mine in this opening. Maybe, maybe AOP. I guess. Who, but who I heels. guess, are also heels. Yeah. Eh. Okay. Alex Reyes talked to Dana Brooke and Emma. Um, you'd think I'd write down more than that. <laughs> there really wasn't much. Oh, uh, yeah. They were, they were asked about, what was it? It was like they said that Asuka was going to kick somebody's ass. So Alex was following up with them like, hey, you were right. How do you feel about that? And they were like, yep, we were right. Now we're going to go out and win this enhancement match. And that was that was the extent of it. I kind of like that they're getting so much mileage out of Dana and Emma being experts and getting their asses kicked by Asuka. Like, hey, you're not feuding with her anymore. But boy, that Asuka sure knows how to kick an ass, right? And they're like, yeah, look at our asses. They've got her boot print right there. Yep. Asuka's great. All right. Uh, Enzo and Cass, we got the little recap of Enzo getting attacked in the parking lot last week that I thought, you know, maybe a minor injury, but it seems like this is, um, and maybe there was a stinger there. Um, and this was a long, uh, taping, it would seem, at, uh, CFE Arena, uh, unless they were there for a couple of different tapings. But, you know, kind of tailor made for him to, uh, take some time. Uh, they said that Dash and Dawson are gutless for attacking them in the parking lot. Uh, Dash and Dawson had their own talk segment uh, in response and called them the catchphrase kings again, which I always uh, like the sound of. Um, and they said, hey, if you want to get close to these belts, I'll tell you what, we'll let you spit shine our titles someday. Uh, this will be on Roadblock on March 12th on the network. Um do we have to cover that, Tom? No, it's a main main roster event. Oh, so it's one match on the main roster event. Yeah. 
Okay, good. Uh, because none others were uh, booked, which I thought was maybe a problem if there were more. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to Santana Garrett. Um, she came in for me with fanfare, but this is probably a me thing. But I know at one point they were doing a thing with her where she held like eight different titles at once. Um, so I thought she's got to be awesome. And then she came up and she was who she was and never changed and even got worse as time went on and made silly mental mistakes and worked matches at like one quarter speed. I I don't know. I don't get Santana Garrett. And she looks kind of like she's doing a jungle woman thing, but not quite like not totally committed to it. And her music is halfway interesting for you know, a full decade that has been marked by really, really boring music in this company. Um, I don't know. And, and then she got, she went 537 with Emma here. And I wouldn't be overly shocked if this was one of Santana Garrett's longest matches in this company, at least for ones that were televised. Uh, but yeah, there's just never, I think she wins like one match on TV and it is solely to do a losing thing for who she wrestled. I don't remember who that was, but I just remember saying, oh my God, Santana Garrett won. But we shouldn't get excited about that. Um, Yeah, I mean, she, you know, she's one up on Bobby Fish. But most of us uh, are tied with Bobby Fish, so whatever. Emma over Santana Garrett with the Emma Lock in 537, Tom. Yeah, it's a phrase that's widely used to insult career teachers but those who can't do teach right uh that that sings a little bit since my father was a teacher and it got said to him as an insult but sometimes by his own family members but but here we are with santana garrett uh you can really tell that we are indeed in the era where i fell away from watching weekly due to not being interested in so much that was going on on nxt at this point because this is the third time We've seen Santana Garrett, and she will show up a fourth before being in the Mae Young Classic and eventually getting signed. And the Mae Young Classic in 2017 was my introduction to her. I didn't know who she was beforehand. I mean, she was working all kinds of promotions all over the place, too. So that also shows that I was uh, so focused on WWE, and and it really took the Mae Young Classic. And people like Santana Santana Garrett, who I liked in the Classic, not getting signed right away to make me go like, oh, well, now I want to pay attention to the promotions they are wrestling in. And then I, I branched out from there a bit. But yeah, I d- didn't see any of this, didn't know that the NXT audience already knew who she was before the May. But uh, Emma getting enhancement matches, is she's so, she's so excellent at making herself seem effortlessly formidable. She's always confident. She's not making sure that she's on top of the opponent the opponent at all times. She knows she's going to win, and she draws it out. Emma just seems unbeatable in these enhancement matches, but we know that she's not a threat at all. So, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I want to say that it's super effective because Emma's so good at it, but also we know that she's not a threat at all. So I guess it's not working, uh, but she's good at her part of it anyway. And I, you know, Dana providing the heat on the outside, always entertaining. This part, uh, this time I really enjoyed how uh, Emma was distracting the ref, forcing the ref to, like, explain 
some sort of rule. I forget what it was to, to Emma. Uh, Dana, in the meantime, messes with Santana and then goes back over to the ref like, we know the rules, ref, while, you know, the joke being that Dana was just breaking them. Uh, and a, a very specific thing I noticed, which once upon a time was not uncommon at all to see in almost every single match, at least, I mean, my my memory is telling me such, but Santana tried to struggle out of a double underhook setup, and Emma had to, like, lay in a forearm across the small of Santana's back to to actually be able to hit the suplex, and we don't see that anymore. It's, you know, no matter how good a wrestler is, I don't feel like we see that. Like, you have to force the wrestler into place. It's like, no, oh, if you want to stick their head between your legs because of a move you're about to do, they're just going to stand there and, and do it and not struggle, no matter how much or how little they've been beat up to that point. Uh, so I, I really liked Emma needing to further weaken Santana to be able to hit the suplex. Nice, nice touch. I'm also a big fan of the setup punch. It's such a little thing and always effective. Um, you used to see it with guys who needed somebody's arm behind their back, so they'd punch them in the small of the back. The arm would go back there to, like, uh, deal with the pain there, and then, then you'd have the arm right where you want it to trap it. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. does this all the time. He forces them to put their arm where he wants them when he just puts them into submission after submission. Uh, one reason he's he's, like, probably my favorite wrestler to watch right now um yeah those little things are kind of a dying art and that's that's unfortunate because they had purpose uh william regal talks to eva marie and naya Jax. uh naya must have been so bad talking on the episode that i did alone that they said you know what next time just don't say anything at all because she is in this scene she's participating but she doesn't get to talk, and Eva doesn't get to talk much either. Um, and when she does, uh, it sucks. But Regal uh, says, hey, ladies, you look radiant, and uh, I've, I've been seeing what you've been doing out there, and I'm, I, I think you both just deserve the world. And Eva goes, well, thank you. That's all we've really ever wanted. Um, Regal says that he's going to give them a tag match versus Bailey and Asuka, and they give meaningful, scared looks to each other because uh, one of the tag team of Bailey and Asuka is Asuka. So uh, they're a little afraid, Tom. Yeah, uh, I guess it's a bridge to cross at the next taping, but burying the lead a little bit that it's like, oh, Bailey's now going to have to team up, team up with Asuka, who she knows wants her belt and who she knows has a good chance of beating her. Uh, so that's the most interesting part of the match. Funny, of course, that Regal, it wouldn't be out of character for him to call them Radiant anyway, but that he's buttering up the heels that he doesn't like and is about to give bad news to. Um, this whole segment to me is just like, okay, Carmella, you had your time in the sun and now you're yesterday's garbage. Uh Hey, Naya and Eva, we're booking you the in the exact same match that you just wrestled, except the one that you pinned is not in it anymore. It's we're replacing her with a better wrestler. <laughs> it's just like, thanks for coming, Carms. All right. Uh, we got a long commercial for the Edge and Christian show. And then we went to Regal in the ring, said that we've been signing lots of people. Well, here's one more. I, 
It's not the words he said, but uh, but that is what's happening. And he introduced Austin Aries. Um, and Tom, neither of us even had him in our heads last week. I don't. Think. Yeah, I I think that says a lot about Austin Aries' run. That as we were batting around names, I don't think either of us even remembered that he worked for the company at one point. Austin Aries looks like a tool. He seems like a tool. Um, if it looks like one and acts like one, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. My, I, I paid like no attention to this guy. And I was doing another podcast, like this late night drunken podcast with two of my good friends, mostly online friends, but have become like real friends with them. Um, and I did it for a couple of years while I was doing uh, PWT Talks NXT as well. And was and they'd have to wait for me to be done with that, and we'd do it until like two in the morning or whatever. It was a ridiculous time. Um, but one of the guys, he would get so excited about everybody because he had only been wrestle into wrestling for about a year, even though he was about thirty at this time. But he went crazy into it. The first year he watched wrestling, he went to something like thirty live indie shows. But he was so into. Austin Aries and thought he was cool. And I was like, this guy totally listens to five finger death punch and has no idea. They're terrible. That's who Austin Aries is. And he's like, whatever. And, and, and it like came out later that the, 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 that kind of butt rock is a hundred percent what Austin Aries likes. Um, he, he also ended up being a conspiracy theorist theorist. Uh, he tried to make Omicron. He was like, Omicron was also used in this. I'm like, it's Latin, man. <laughs> it's just Latin wording. Those two things are going to have that because, yeah, Austin Aries is a dummy, um, but he's also an overrated wrestler. I don't, oh, it's going to be so hard to talk about Austin Aries, Tom. Anyway, he gets attacked by Baron Corbin. I don't know, remember what I thought at the time, but in retrospect, I'm like, thank you, Baron. For me, not having to deal with a longer Austin Aries segment. Nothing wrong with the way he was introduced here, I guess. Uh, other than the fact that they keep introducing people and having them immediately get attacked. Um, so it's a little predictable. But uh, but yeah, he's here and uh, we're going to have to deal with that for about a year or two, Tom. Huh? They also keep introducing people and having them immediately say that they're going to be the NXT champion. So this gets a notch above in my book because Austin Aries didn't even get a chance to say anything. He probably would have said that, but he didn't. So, yay. And there's no way around it. Austin Aries is a nut job. A lot of wrestlers are nut jobs. He really is a nut job. But... I don't think he's an overrated wrestler. I think he's a great wrestler. So for that, I i mean, at the time, we didn't know about his conspiracy theorist side and we didn't know about other things as well that we don't need to get into. Um, so I was excited. I was like, yeah, this is great. Awesome. And NXT might be watchable again outside of the women's division because because uh, I like Austin Aries a lot in, in 2016. Um I'm fine with him not being on my TVs anymore, but uh, yeah, at the time I, I liked this signing, and in retrospect, I'm semi-anticipating seeing how correct my memory is of of uh, enjoying his matches. 
quite a lot. Uh, and I, I, I was aware of this guy outside of uh, WWE, and I had seen his work before. So um, so there was a precedent there. But yeah, no, I, I, I thought the name Austin Aries deserved the relative amount of pomp that it was given with the Regal introduction having its own segment. And uh, I mean, the segment really became more about Baron Corbin saying an eye for an eye to Regal. Um, I don't remember where that ends up going, but uh, yeah, then they do a bunch of spotlights and, and all this music and everything for Austin Aries. And, and I, I think his name at the time earned that. Yeah, I do too. And I, I don't remember my reaction to this. I don't remember this opening scene, although I do remember that Baron Corbin was the first guy he wrestled at TakeOver, and it was kind of a funny-looking mismatch because you knew Ares was going to dominate, which was kind of funny because he's much, much smaller than Corbin. Uh, But that's just where their careers were at the time. And I'm interested to see if my only current negative reactions to Aries wrestling because it's not like I think he's bad. I just don't think he's all that. Maybe I'll watch him and I'll be like, Oh, he is all that. It's just all the other baggage that made me just throw him completely out of my memory. Because I remember the matches with Neville where he was challenging super evil Neville being very, very good. Oh, yeah, um, and the controversy that he they cut it off of the WrestleMania DVD so he didn't get any royalties. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's no good. Um, that should not happen. Okay, speaking of that should not happen, the next match is Steve Cutler versus Elias Samson. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Steve Cutler goes out there already busted open on his forehead and these two seem like they're pissed at each other did they have a bill murray chevy chase moment in gorilla uh i think it's possible because chevy chase had one of those moments with everybody he ever worked with um yeah the guy is just a pure asshole um just unrepentant piece of crap um oh my god i'm tempted to quote some stuff that i've heard from him on podcasts lately but none of it is fit for air yeah (laughs) Um, I don't know. I, I, 304 Elias wins with probably the neck breaker, but I completely disengaged with this time. Yeah, I, I would have because it's Elias and he's up against an uninteresting opponent and they, and they were really talking up, uh, Cutler being a veteran of Afghanistan and saying that Elias was disrespecting him. And I'm like, Elias didn't do anything except for try to win the match. What? What, the the disconnect between the way mo- mostly it's like well another great win for Elias but we're still trying to get inside the head of the drifter and I'm like who are you talking I just watched some dude go out there and wrestle a match and you're saying that he's this mysterious you know ethereal we don't know what's in his mind I'm not getting any of that from Elias's performance so there's a disconnect there but because these guys and maybe it was just good work maybe it was just good work but i was convinced that these two were not happy with one another over something they do a couple of lockups that are really aggressive and then cutler breaks out of it and they face off against one another they sort of awkwardly pause as if there's been this dramatic storyline leading up to this moment where they're facing off 
And Cutler says, so it's going to be like that, huh? And then they start, you know, wrestling again. Oh, yeah, maybe it's just convincing work. But there was something, there was some extra spice on this one that made me think like, oh, and Elias' match was good. All right. And then, you know, Elias gets the upper hand and Steve Cutler sells his ass off, uh, off for him. Uh, so, so, you know, being a professional in that regard, then this is again, assuming I'm even <laughs> in the ballpark that there may have been a personal issue of some kind. Uh, but even again, the, I had to rewind to make sure Cutler didn't get opened up in the match. He's already got fresh blood on his forehead with a little bandage on it, uh, above his eyebrow w- before the bell rings. And by the end of the match, the refs got gloves on. So I don't know, but I, I, I thought this one was good. Like, it's just a basic enhancement match, but honestly, the only other Elias match I've ever liked was his uh, WrestleMania match against Baron Corbin, and that was, of course, the crowdless WrestleMania. It, awful, awful, awful feud. But when we got to the match, I was like, oh, wow, those guys worked the hell out of that. Well done. A, a one Elias match that I liked. Excellent. Here's number two, my second favorite Elias match ever. I guess I wish I'd watched it. Um I mean, I, I did kind of like I was in the room as it played and probably kind of looked at it. I might have looked at the whole thing and taken nothing from it. Like the eyes just glaze over. And you're like, I know I was there. Um, oh, well, oh, now we have to go to the hype bros talking. Um, Thankfully, it was just talking, not yelling. It was, and uh, they said the Vaudevillains are messing with the wrong team. Uh, the Vaudevillains haven't really been messing with them, have they? I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, they're, they're messing with Mojo's mind, apparently, but I don't think it's That can't deliberate. be very hard to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like when, when somebody tells you, oh, I love Donnie Darko, it was such a mind F, and I was like, I think you've got a mind that's very easy to F, so I don't know how much stock I should put into that. Um, yeah, I've never heard that term from somebody who is just, like, difficult to F the mind of. Anyway, I'm, I'm well off the rails. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm always for it when it's dissing Donnie Darko. <laughs> I figured you would be. Um, yeah, then uh, after, after the hype bros are done talking... They, which begs the question, why are they talking there in front yes. of a, like it's a, yes. designa- a designated talking place, but they're yep. not being interviewed. That's the only way that I can give it a pass is that it is so, it is such a designated talking place. I, I almost wish that they would tell us, hey, wherever we go, we set up this designated talking place backstage. And if somebody wants their talking to be on camera, they can go <laughs> to the designated area to have it possibly have it be considered for air uh but yeah uh, as as it is it's very contrived yeah um i want them to call it that and have the announcers say it all the time designated talking (laughs) place like (laughs) a company that is obsessed with sounding cool call it the designated talking place the aop are at the dtp (laughs) oh acronyms um after the hype bros leave, uh, the vaudevillains sneak out of hiding spots at the designated talking place and um, and turn it into the designated sneering place because they just stand there, kind of look at each other a little. Then they just like they smile because they successfully 
lurked while someone <laughs> talked? Um, I, something that would work if it was a designated talking place. <laughs> yes! Um, and it, it, I almost want to give it a pass because this is the exact thing that a silent movie villain would do. And then later in the movie, Charlie Chaplin would hit, hit him upside the head with a brick. But as it is, it's just way too theatrical and just reminds us how contrived this whole wrestling thing is. Yeah, there was no brick to save this segment. Um, and the villains just, they say nothing, and they they literally look at each other like, a job well done. We hung out <laughs> and listened to the most annoying men in the planet secretly. Why would you do that? Like, There's not even a hint at what they seem to have gathered from... It's it's like the Emma and Dana thing. What, what did they even say? They It was something very similar, where Emma and Dana were very satisfied with themselves for setting something up when it was just sort of like oh a match got booked and they don't there's no advantage that they manipulated for themselves that the hype bros are goofy dumbasses and they they at least didn't yell or jump around like tanned baboons this time so i was okay with that part but they didn't say anything that they didn't say they didn't divulge a secret. They didn't unveil a plot. They didn't step on a bear trap that the vaudevillains had laid for them. But yeah, uh, Aiden English and Simon Gotch just seem really proud of themselves here, posing for camera. Yeah, I, man, if you're the vaudevillains and you're at the designated talking place and you see the hype bros coming to talk, you should run. You should go away from the place because they're going to talk oh oh boy um i knew i didn't think the segment worked i didn't know i hated <laughs> it that much um okay hype for neville we may as well hype our main event now that we're one minute away from doing it uh yeah we uh, this match was literally just last week regal said it was going to happen and you did all these tapings. Why didn't you use multiple weeks to promote the longest running champion of this brand facing the current uh, champion who is who is threatening that record? Uh, kind of. They don't even have to be. Neville doesn't even have to be present for these tapings for them to promote this match because it's got that going for it. But instead, they just kind of say it at the end of the week last week and now they just promote Neville as a guy right before the yeah. match yeah. yeah the best I can say there is that they at least you know for whatever it's worth and something to the live crowd although I think that Santana Garrett got a better hometown girl uh, even though she's not a hometown girl reaction i don't know like it had me looking up like was she a ucf student at one point why does the crowd like her so much but i think she even got a better reaction than balor did but but uh balor gets a good reaction the crowd is anticipating him they kept him special the main event champion who only comes out and works the main event at this uh special ucf show so that's that's the good thing now the other good thing is the balor package that they did uh earlier in the show because Balor's NXT run really has just been like, okay, every once in a while he puts on the demon makeup and does the demon entrance, but he mostly just 
does backstage interviews where he says, I'm a wrestler, so I'm going to wrestle and I'm going to try to win because winning is what I do. And that's that's it. That's that's him. So the fact that they were able to actually make him seem much more intriguing with the video package earlier. Golf clap to that. This Adrian Neville package, I would argue that Neville has many more highlights that you can draw from in just barely a longer WWE career at this point than than Balor has. But you said it, they they're just like, hey, and here's this guy. Uh the uh, the, the Balor looks awesome in his package, and then Neville is like He's also a lump of flesh that's going to come out later. Normally, when you talk about the Balor package, you're just talking about and the way they shoot flesh. him from underneath. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old lumps of flesh. Uh, potato Farmer carries his wares uh, with him everywhere. Um, <laughs> uh, so this match was the main event. Yep. Now you're, <laughs> uh, Mr. Regal, I'm just a simple potato farmer. <laughs> it has a whole different context. Yeah, sorry for ruining like one of my longest or enhancing also, one of my longest yes, running yes. Uh, bits. So you farm them and smuggle. <laughs> I'm just a simple potato smuggler. Um, okay, so this match happened. Uh, the fans immediately start chanting, "This is awesome!" Can't blame them because they were just asked to get into the three previous matches. Take your pick. They were asked to care about them. Uh, so this seems like a, a, a big deal. Uh, big potatoes, folks. Um, but it's, you know, it's a match. Uh, there's a clip for the WWE shop, specifically the NXT wing of it. Um, Finn Balor beats Neville with 1916. Not called that. They don't even call it the move that it is. But he hits 1916 and... Pins and Neville, that's your main event, huh? Yeah, it's it's a match that's just to marvel at the work rate of the guys, as NXT loves to do so much. But hey, thank goodness Neville is more than a lump of flesh. Neville's athleticism and his economy of his athleticism just impresses me so much every time out that at least there's that. This was overlong. It was just what I already said, it, what it, it is. So at least we get to look at Neville again, because like he he really is impressive. And they did a nice passing of the torch afterward, where it was just sort of the silent acknowledgement of of Neville going like, okay, I approve that if somebody's going to beat my record, it can be this guy. The most intriguing part of the whole match was during Balor's entrance, when Tom Phillips cites an internet rumor that the Bullet Club is coming to NXT. Another bit of evidence that I did not watch this episode, because at this point, Styles had just debuted in the Royal Rumble a few weeks prior, or like a month prior at this point, and we're just a couple months away from Anderson and Gallows uh, attacking the Usos on Raw. And I have long complained that one of my least favorite Michael Cole calls ever was when Anderson and Gallows attacked the Usos, and he goes... We've heard rumors that this might happen, and I'm like, oh, so I was wrong to be surprised. I was wrong to be engaged by what's happening on your television show. I should have known already because I should be reading other websites than your own on the Internet. Okay, Michael Cole, thanks. But I guess 
it was a thing because here Tom Phillips is going like, oh, wow, Corey, the Bullet Club might come to NXT. And Corey says, oh, you read the Internet too much and, and whatever. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a thing. And Finn leaned into it because after he wins, he walks up the ramp kind of slowly and normally slaps some hands. This time slapped very few hands. But if somebody had the two sweet up, he hit him with the two sweet. Um that is what he did. He uh, he waited for a dude like very near the back of the ramp who had up the two sweet symbol and uh, he hit him with it. So yeah, he was he was playing along with those rumors that would come to I don't know I guess essentially nothing. Uh, Bullet Club still in New <laughs> Japan. I was Not gonna until say 2024. Yeah, I was gonna say Bullet Club still where it belongs. But it belongs in the scrap heap, and uh, it, it's like five years past its sell-by date. Uh, it needs to die. Um, stop buying their merch so my wrestling viewing can become better. Okay. Uh, Rich Brennan talked to Sami Zayn and uh, Samoa Joe at the same time. Seems like a dangerous place for Rich to be. Uh, Sammy, this was brief, but it we're good. And Sammy says... Joe's success is predicated on the work of others. Uh, loved this line because Sammy is not whining. He is laying out very real babyface stuff that is true um, that Sam is uh, that, you know, Samoa Joe is acting entitled, but his success is predicated on the work of others. Joe says to Sammy, among other, th- other things, I'm responsible for you having a career next week. I take it away. Um so, yeah, we've got this match next week, and we just watched a main event with the champion that was utterly heatless, and here's a match that they've been building for multiple matches and months. So, uh, there's your big dichotomy, Tom. Yeah, that and uh, Enzo and Cass seemingly weekly having a backstage promo on the revival, so uh, <laughs> that just long-term storytelling here relatively long term for for wwe at this point uh yes samoa joe and Sami Zayn, or as i like to call them sam and sam um you said it sammy nailed this predicated on other people's success he says the cakewalk is over i really liked the way sammy went at this i think um you pointing out that this is a dangerous place for rich brennan to be uh, makes me think of the only way it could have been better is if uh, Sammy and Joe were going nose to nose and Rich is just in the middle, almost like the the I can never think of his name, but the dude on Mad Magazine covers with just a cartoony expression Alfred on e. his Newman. face. Yeah. OK, yeah, his his eyes up, a flop sweat holding a little microphone that probably has boogers on it or something since I brought Mad Magazine into it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I thought this was very good. Yeah, um, you know. A scene like this, what it really needs is the return of Briley Pierce, because he could have gotten beaten up so easily. Um, I miss having Briley Pierce around for that reason, uh, the future Ryan Nemeth, because that was my first runner on this show, um, <laughs> needing to see him get beat up. You can email us at pwtorchnxt8yb at gmail.com. This is from Brian Alston. Hello, friends. Number one, Tucker Knight. Number two, Hugo Knox. Any relation to Mike Knox? Liner notes, please. I thought of Mike Knox right away. Also, this must be a name that they love um, in the in the mold of Braun, where they kept using that in the mold of Bronson. 
There's someone in that company loves names that sound like Braun, Bronson, because there were many Bronsons before there were Bronson Reed that were given a shot. Um, I mean, now we got Braun Strowman and Braun Breaker. And I wonder if somebody didn't notice that they are the same name, just spelled differently. Uh, there you go. Number three, a series of okay videos and promos. Ah, that is wrestling, isn't it? Number four, Austin Aries with three exclamation points. Ah, he doesn't deserve that. Number five, I knew Double A was coming soon, but I wasn't sure when. I remember popping for this. I did not remember he was coming soon. The, the dude just left my brain. Number six, and I forgot about Baron Corbin attacking Aries. It was a beautiful thing. Number seven, the 2016 Brian was excited for Finn Balor versus Adrian Neville. 2024 Brian, overall, it was a good match. Number eight, very good show closing interview with Samojo and Sammy J- uh, Zayn. Thanks. Brian L. <laughs> Alston. Um, I think we kind of accidentally covered what little he uh, was uh, new content here, Tom. Anything further? Good old Sam Joe and Sammy James. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, the the attack was beautiful. Aries sold very nicely. The, the hucking Aries into the LED board on the side of the ring uh, looked looked great. Um, I'm I'm just now tangentially remembering that NXT originated that, and then the main roster picked it up afterward. Um, the the LED board thing that is the the series of OK videos and promos. I also wanted to point out that as part of the end zone cast thing, they replayed the security camera footage for us, and I didn't notice last time how choppy it was, making it look like the limbs aren't moving. Like there are steps being taken and punches being thrown, but the legs and the arms look static. So it kind of looks like glitched out video game characters just like sliding around an environment. It's pretty humorous. He also emails this. Hello, friends, from the February 17th, 2016-24 episode. The 1988 character I know Kelly would excel as is diehard's Hans Gruber. I don't know if Kelly does accents, but then again, I don't think Kelly needs an accent to do Hans. Let me throw in here. I do an accent on this show almost every week. <laughs> It's Irish and not German, but I do it like every week. Um, I do. Uh, I was very, very good at them in college to the point where the head of our department who did the stage dialects class would use me as the example of how to do this particular accent. And I became like a teacher student for the only class ever. In my life, because uh, because I was that good at it. Uh, that is something I aced, and um, and I was asked to play many foreign-born characters in shows. As a result, uh, I the show where I had a thousand lines, which sounds like a lot because it is. Uh, I was Irish, so um, for a little while, Irish wanted to creep into certain things that I said in my real life because I was saying them so much. In uh, rehearsal been, and that show. It's been a very long time since I've watched Die Hard. Does Alan Rickman do a German accent, or does he just talk like Alan Rickman with his unique inflection? Uh, I think he's just talking like Alan Rickman. Uh, it has not been long since I've watched it. That is always the case. Um, yeah, I think he's basically being british in this and they said hey nobody knows your voice anyway so uh so just do it you sound yeah, good it's a great voice um oh yes his voice 
carries a lot of weight. I do love it. Um, Brian continues, quick sidebar. This just came to me. I'm surprised that Hollywood has not tried to bring back Hans Gruber, as in an origin story slash the first time he committed crimes. If Die Hard debuted in 2024, I'm sure Hollywood would have made Hans's death more ambiguous so he could return if needed. Oh, ain't that the truth, Tom? Um, yeah, it, it... I have this may be a false memory. I feel like I heard at one point that they intended to bring I know this is not what Brian's talking about and I guess when he puts it that way I'm I am sort of surprised that we haven't had the Hans Gruber origin story as a movie. Um born hard. Um but uh Die Hard with a Vengeance wasn't that supposed to be oh Hans Gruber is actually still alive and when Alan Rickman refused to do it that's when they brought in Jeremy Irons as his brother? Or cousin, or whatever it was? That's uh, a good question. Um, it was never supposed to be that by the screenwriter, because right, right. the yes, second... Like all the Die Hard sequels. Yep, second, third, and fourth Die Hard sequels were not written to be Die Hard movies. They were just bought and then became Die Hard movies. Um, yeah, I, I know that Die Hard 4 was originally titled Fire Sale. The second one was something about being out of time, or... Uh, because... Die Hard 2 happens in real time, like an episode of 24, oh, yeah. um, or like the movie Nick of Time, which actually did like that exact thing right before uh, 24 came out. So it, it had, and it was a, it kicked around Hollywood. Everybody wanted it. Like the only reason it kicked around Hollywood is because everybody was fighting to make it. Um, and then it got bought and then it was a Die Hard movie. Okay, uh, it says, Tom, I hope you will answer your 1988 questions. Uh, do you want to do that right now, real quickly, before we move on? I I can do it quickly. Uh, Kelly gets to act in a 1988 movie, which movie and character. Kelly is going to be Otho in Beetlejuice. And oh I get to direct... Yeah. I freaking uh, love Otho, but yeah. it, it's not my usual, but I think I can do it. I, I There are a couple roles in that that I thought of, but that seemed most fitting. Uh, Tom, you get to direct the remake of a 1988 movie. Previous director gives you their full blessing. Which movie? I look at 1988, and apart from Beetlejuice, I'm like, oh, why does Brian ask about these weird late 80s, early 90s years that don't have great films? And then I actually look at the list, and I'm like, oh, I mean, I could see... Uh, on the Silver Globe to fruition because that's what we have of it is an incredible freaking movie, but it was unfinished because the the government of where was it Polish or Ukrainian or Russia I don't remember whichever Eastern European government uh, shut down the production. Um, but but what we do have of Zwolfki's uh, film it's been a long time since I've said that word out uh, that name out loud I hope I got it right Zwolfki. Um, it, oh, what a great movie! So I could I could see that to uh to an end point. It wouldn't be as good as what the original was intended to be. Or do I take a crack at the Dirk Diggler story, Paul Thomas Anderson's first short film that, of course, preceded uh his nine years later when he when he put out Boogie Nights. Uh, that would be cool. Or or do I toy with brian's question and instead of remake i do a reboot of elvira mistress of the dark because i genuinely do feel that there is not just a a a current market a nostalgia market and a new market out there for the elvira character 
but also I'd just get to be around Cassandra Peterson all day, and yeah, that's the one I'm doing. Elvira's a redhead, folks. Did you know that? Um, real pretty lady. Uh, under the you know the veneer that is Elvira, yeah. still hot. Um, it's like one of the and and in her 60s at this point, and just one of the most lovely surprises when you become a big enough fan to actually look that up. Like, oh, okay, so she's great, but like, what what does she look like when the costume comes off? Oh, even hotter. Hotter. Oh. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let's get to the actor that voiced Rocket. Bradley Charles Cooper started off with small roles and now is a bona fide A-lister. The Hangover took Bradley's career into the next level. He used that clout to make prestige films and passion projects. He has stepped behind the camera to direct two major movies, A Star is Born 2018 and Maestro 2023, Wikipedia list. Below, most important, Bradley was named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive in 2011. Same actor questions. Two movies that are must-see, one that's skippable, one's your sleeper, and name another movie role that you would recast with Cooper. Of course, no disrespect to the other actor. Um, long list here. Uh, the, yeah, Wet Hot American Summer was his first movie. Uh, I didn't know that, but it was. Um, I saw that. I don't... Is he one of the camp counselors? Or is he He's too young at that time? Rival campers, I believe. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This one is, you know, the guys from the state making a movie and casting their friends and doing some real absurd stuff. It is definitely worth seeing once. For some people, this is a comfort movie. There are some really hilarious scenes in this, and there are some that are so absurd that I'm not sure they work. But they tried weird stuff. Uh, it is a movie I would suggest to just about everybody. Um, and has some of the funniest and weirdest moments you will ever see in a movie, uh, even if you don't end up loving it. In 2022, we did uh, 2002. We did three movies: Changing Lanes, um, deleted scene, so whatever. My <laughs> Little Lie and Bending All the Rules. I didn't see any of those. In 05 was Wedding Crashers. I made it about 20 minutes into Wedding Crashers. I hated it. 06 Failure to Launch. I saw this movie because. Of my wife. Um, it's bad. Uh, 07, The Comebacks. Is that a football movie? Sounds like it. Um, did Keanu Reeves, did Reeves? No, that was the No, replacement. that's The Replacements. Maybe that's uh, what I'm conflating it with, even though I know that movie, kind of. Um, oh, here here it is. Uh, oh, boy, the, the poster... He played a character named Cowboy, and the poster makes it look like one of those modern-day National Lampoon direct-to-DVD things, because it's a female football player sticking her butt at the camera, and her legs are spread, um, like Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. Carl Weathers, David Koechner, David Koechner, I mean, come on, funny guy, but when David Koechner's in a movie, you know what kind of movie it's going to be. That's true. Sounds Although capable. he showed up in uh, a Final Destination movie, did a small amount of uh, comic relief, and then um, was one of the first ones to get offed. Um, well, kind of a weird just, place for David Koechner to show up. I, I just identified the woman on the cover. It's Stacy Keebler. She's oh. in this. Andy Dick, Dax Shepard, Dennis Rodman. This movie, Frank Caliendo, this movie is, I'll bet Frank Caliendo is doing his um, John Madden. This movie is asking me to not watch it. Yeah. Directed it, by Tom Brady? Oh, it's it, a different, no. okay. <laughs> that, 
<laughs> like he was still winning Super Bowls in 2007. Yes. From the director of Bucky Larson, Born to Be a Star. Oh my God, Nick that Swardson. was that killed his career. That movie was yeah. so bad it killed Nick Swardson's acting career. I I will do myself a favor and never watch the comebacks. Okay, in 08, he made four movies, Older Than America, The Rocker, The Midnight Meat Train, and Yes Man. Um, Yes Man had some fine moments. It is not a fine movie. 09, he made five movies. Good Lord. Uh, He's just not that into you. The Hangover, Case 39, All About Steve, and New York, I Love You. Uh, The only one that I watched was The Hangover, of course. And I quite like the first one. Um... I, I don't know that I've seen the other ones all the way through. Um, the first one has some moments that are so audacious. I don't know if they work also. Uh, but this is where I started to really take note of Bradley Cooper and really like him. Um, he's not the one being funny most of the time in this movie, although he does it. Uh, he's not the one being broadly funny. But I could tell from this movie that this dude could act. Uh 2010, he made Valentine's Day, Brothers, Justice, and The A-Team. Haven't seen those. 11, Limitless. Oh, I just thought that looked so stupid. Hangover Part 2. I think I saw half of it, and it could be my skippable one. And then a short film called Kalian. 2012, The Words, Hit and Run, The Place Beyond the Pines, and Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, Everyone I know liked Silver Linings Playbook, except every social worker I know who was like, this movie has the worst advice ever given um, by a movie about uh, about mental health. 2013, The Hangover Part 3 and American Hustle. Uh, I saw some of American Hustle and thought it was maybe overhyped, but maybe you saw the whole thing and liked it more. 14, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy, which uh, I did not like at first, but then made my peace with and then ended up really liking. Serena and American Sniper, which I had no interest in. 15, Aloha, Burnt, and Joy. I didn't see any of them. 16, 10 Cloverfield Lane. I have seen that. Didn't know he was in it, and he's voice only, so there you go. Um, it's an interesting little thing. Uh, a very, dark, like, fairly quiet for, kind of surprising that this, that Cloverfield even continued at all. But, uh, yeah, but it speaking did. of scripts that got hijacked into other franchises okay i that doesn't surprise me i guess um, yeah every cloverfield spinoff was a different script and then they i say every were there only two i don't know whatever yeah, it, like you sure. can you can see it with this one too where the whole thing happens in the confined location and then at the end there's a 10 minute sequence of an alien fight oh cool uh war dogs uh didn't see that 2017 guardians of the galaxy volume two uh it's terrible um i i like the emotional story, the comedy in this movie is awful. 18, Avengers, Avengers Infinity War. Only, I was going to say only voice, really? It's always only voice for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's performance capture. T- well, okay. They do like a facial capture of him, but then it's Sean Gunn who does the performance capture. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess he's got a little more time. Um, to do that, because Bradley Cooper is a big star, and Sean Gunn is the brother of the director. Yeah, he is the odd one out, though, because, like, the the actors and, and James Gunn, they really do consider themselves like a surrogate family, like the characters in the movie do, 
And Bradley Cooper is just the one who they only see at like every other premiere. Like even even Vin Diesel, like he's a part of the group chat and everything. Oh, I'm you know I mean Vin seems like a pretty approachable guy. Also, not near the star level at this point. Um, he really like if Fast and the Furious ended, what would he do? And what would people want to see him do? I can't think of anything. Uh, but a nice guy, like a super nice guy. Oh, God. Um, where was I? A Star is Born. I have seen many of the Star is Borns. Uh, I think I talked about this. This one just, it's its the most affecting. Uh, I would say the filmmaking is on par with the first, which I absolutely adore. Um, and well ahead of both others. Uh, and Bradley Cooper's performance in this is one of my favorite performances by anyone in anything. It is my must-see. Uh, and people who direct themselves in movies, sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, this time it did. Uh, he also did The Mule, whatever that was. Uh, Avengers Endgame. It, it's a must-see um, superhero movie. It, there's, I, I just feel like these don't even... There's something different from films to me in some way. Uh, but, but yeah. Joker, Isn't he was... The Mule, the movie where Clint Eastwood has a threesome, even though he's 90 zillion years old? I wish you had not said any of the stuff that you just did. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, no, that cannot be, and it never happened, and I, we will never speak of it again. Uh, Licorice Pizza, didn't see, even though I thought I would. Nightmare Alley, no, uh, no, haven't seen that. Thor Love and Thunder, perfectly goofy, um, what it's meant to be. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. I heard this was really good, so it's kind of on the watch list, but I haven't. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, I still haven't seen, because I'm still about five movies back in a franchise that, Kind of feels like it's in its death throes at times, um, unless they save it with, I don't know, they need a hot streak to uh, to really save this. And um, Maestro, uh, I would love to tell you I knew what this was, because he also directed this, but I don't, Tom. Um, my must-see is A Star is Born, and if I have a second one, it's Endgame, and my skipper is uh, Guardians 2. Go ahead. I admit I don't really get the Marvel Death Throws thing because the financial success is still there. Um, I know they don't have Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans anymore unless they multiverse them back in somehow. But I don't know. Like, I'm more invested than ever and have more favorite characters running than ever. And that's just me. But it really is like the dominant thing when it comes to Marvel. Like, you know, oh, man, like how much longer can they survive without just totally rebooting everything? But I guess I guess that's how people feel, um, which segues nicely into the letterboxed popularity ranking of Bradley Cooper films. I've seen 30 Bradley Cooper films, assuming I don't uh, find something along the way of what I've logged that uh, I feel I need to amend. But uh, I've talked a lot about the Avengers movies and the Guardians of the Galaxies movies and and even um, even Thor Love and Thunder. So I'll spare people and just say every movie, every movie that has Rocket in it, not necessarily because of Rocket, but he's also one of the very best characters. So in large part because of Rocket is 
one of the best movies in the Marvel universe um, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 that Kelly does not like at all is my favorite Marvel movie by by a lot. Licorice Pizza is next down on the list. It's the only Paul Thomas Anderson movie I do not care for. And Bradley Cooper's fine in it, I guess. Uh, I would have forgotten that he was in it, even though he was the first casting announced and he was in the first production photos that leaked, which if they leaked, are they production? Well, whatever. Uh, The first photos from the set had him in costume. I believe it was the scene at the gas station during the shortage when he chases the main characters out of his whatever. I I did not care for this movie, unfortunately. Very weird to watch a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and not like it. The Hangover, I didn't get the phenomenon. Um, I I waited to rent it on Netflix, and I did not understand why it had become so popular. But skipping further down the list, I did watch the sequel for some reason. This must have been during the phase where I was just renting every popular movie from Netflix, regardless of whether I thought it looked any good. And unless Letterboxd had reminded me, I would have forgotten that I rewatched this because it's the exact same thing as the first one. Um, I guess the third one has a different plot, but I skipped it. I have still not seen any of the Stars Born movies, and uh, I don't like Lady Gaga, and I don't like that shallow song, so I have, I have continued to skip this Stars Born. I forgot that Bradley Cooper directed it, and now I kind of need to double check my Maestro reviews because I may have said that it was his first feature, but um, I'll, I'll do that later. Silver Linings Playbook. Um, David O. Russell used to be great, now isn't so great anymore. Silver Linings Playbook is r- surprisingly really good for two acts, and then it becomes a movie about betting on an Eagles game. I don't get it. Like, The Fighter is a family movie, and then in the end, when Mark Wahlberg actually has to have the boxing match, the boxing match doesn't matter. The family stuff has already been resolved. Why is this movie still happening? So I actually surprisingly really like Silver Linings Playbook, until it became a different movie. Nothing further on 10 Cloverfield Lane. Nightmare Alley. For the longest time, I did not understand why Bradley Cooper was a big star. I did not see it with him. Um, just didn't get it. Saw Guillermo del Toro's remake of Nightmare Alley, and I got it. I was like, okay, I like this guy now. And then comes Maestro on the popularity list, and I'm sure that one will rise as it gets, um, you know, as... as uh, over the next weeks when more people see it due to the Oscar nominations, whether or not it wins any, although, um, I mean, I'm, I'm way, way, I'm more behind than I have been in a decade on my of the year list and like catching up on movies. It's just so many movies from 2023 just feel like homework. Uh, even ones that I think that I'll like, like killers of the flower moon. I'm sure that I'll like that movie, but it really feels like homework to sit down and watch it. So I'm actually for the first time in 10 years, going to miss my self-imposed deadline of having a top 10 list up by uh, in, in time for the Oscars. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I did see the holdovers at least. So I've seen a couple of the best actor performances. And I think from what I've seen, it's a toss up between Giamatti and Bradley Cooper. And I know everybody wants to talk about the, the prosthetic nose on Bradley Cooper. And all I have to say to that is like, how do we pick and choose which performances were going to knock for the prosthetics. Like Nicole Kidman suffered the same thing for her prosthetic nose in the hours. But then other people have won. Julia Roberts won an Oscar for prosthetic boobs. And nobody says anything. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I don't I don't understand why that stuff takes fire. Bradley Cooper is incredible in Maestro. Maestro is like the inverse of Silver Linings Playbook. The first act is not good. It it just really isn't. It's throwing way too much at the wall. It feels like a first time filmmaker. And then the next two acts happen and they're just lovely and the ending is devastating and uh, just Maestro ended up being really good. It is in my tentative top 10, even though that first act is really unfortunate. I saw The Place Beyond the Pines, uh, which was written by Ben Coccio, I believe. Uh, obviously directed by Derek Sian France. Where's the crew? Um, writers so far down. Yes, written by Ben Coccio, who did Zero Day, one of the films that inspired me to go to film school. One of the films, kind of like a clerk's, that shows you like, hey... Even though you weren't born into money, you too can do this. Um, and, and Zero Day is, is quite good for just being filmed with unprofessional actors on a, on a little DV camera. Um, so I was excited for... I mean, you know, Be Derek Sion France had made a name for himself at this point, too. And The Place Beyond the Pines is a very ambitious film. And the first part of it is great. And I've recommended to many people, just watch the first part. And then when it does the time jump to the next part, eh, if you're into it, give it a shot. But if you turn it off there and just consider yourself done, you've seen the best stuff. Um, so it's it's really good up until that point. And honestly, I've only ever rewatched the first portion of it before the time, the first time jump. Uh, I've only ever rewatched that part. So I wouldn't be able to say that upon revisitation, the rest of it worked for me. But I remember walking out of the theater at the Toronto, uh, Toronto International Film Festival where Ben Coccio did do a Q&A, so that was cool. Um, I didn't ask any questions in that one myself, but it was just neat to see him there. Um, I, I walked out of it with the other people I was attending the festival with, and we all had the same reaction, like, wow, that was really good, and then it just kept going. Uh, one of the guys I was sitting right next to him and I like, we don't talk during movies, but we had to like enthusiastically elbow each other. Like, Oh my God, this is so good. And then it wasn't anymore. American hustle. Not good. American sniper. Um, it's very propagandistic. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. A lot of Clint Eastwood movies, I, I assume are going to be bad. And then I watch them and I'm like, Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But it's still very propagandistic. Uh, the Hangover Part 2. Okay, that's where that falls in the popularity ranking. There's the Gar Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. So that's the one that... Uh, oh, is Part... Where, well, let's see. Infinity War, Endgame, Guardians 1, Guardians 3, Guardians 2, Thor Love and Thunder. And then way down the list is the holiday special. So that's how the popularity is on Letterboxd. I believe... As I've said before, I believe this is ranked by um, just how many people have watched them, not how they've ranked them or, or whatever. Limitless. Great concept. The movie looked terrible. So I, oh, I have seen it. So I did rent this from Netflix. I, I don't remember seeing it. I guess I have a vague recollection of having it on the screen via Netflix DVD, but I don't actually actively remember. There are jokes about the limitless concept and you not remembering you watched it, but um, <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna refrain, Tom. That's great. That's great. No, I I think it's a wonderful concept for a film and uh, I just very generic movie from from the very little apparently that I recall. Don't remember him in Yes Man. Don't remember him in Wedding Cra Wedding Crashers, which is bad. I don't even really remember Yes Man at all. I know I know I watched that one, but I I 
I don't know. Don't remember him in Wedding Crashers. It's bad. I'm guessing he just plays one of the rival husbands or, or whatever. What is this? He's just, oh, he's just not that into you. This was all right, wasn't it? I think I think this was all right. Um, don't remember. I'm mixing it up with what to expect when you're expecting, which is one of those things that you look at and you're like, why would they make that into a movie? And then I actually thought it was charming. And uh, the Jennifer Lopez storyline in particular really got me. Uh, he was in Valentine's Day, apparently, which I think is by the same. Hey, wait, yeah, wait, it's not worth. Is that one of those one movies of those... with everything, everyone in it? Yes, as, as is. He's just not that into you and what to expect. Um, I have not seen Valentine's Day, but you know what? I want to because I decided that I get. Uh, it's. I don't know why this happens. The new year is such a dumb holiday to me. It's just a number flipping over on a calendar. Nothing really changes. I, I don't get why it's a big deal. I don't even think that birthdays are important. So why would I think the new year is important? And yet I enjoy watching the ball drop and, and being there with the family and, and seeing what kind of silly things Anderson Cooper says on TV. Like I like that or hearing Miley Cyrus sing or whatever it is. So I like the occasion of it. So because of that, I did watch the New Year's Eve movie. That's this exact same concept. And I, ex I expected it to be terrible. But I was like, oh, whatever, New Year's Eve, I'll, I'll watch this. And I actually really enjoyed it and thought it was very sweet. So I kind of want to go back and see Valentine's Day now. Joy, don't remember him in it. I was surprised that this one was as good as it is because at this point I was entrenched in feeling like David O. Russell had lost his touch. Wet Hot American Summer, it's hilarious i've i'm enough of a fan of what um what uh, david uh, the stella guy david wayne david wayne i'm, I'm enough of a that's fan why of i didn't style. say his name yeah <laughs> i had his face couldn't yeah. couldn't call his oh, name oh yeah up. absolutely very memorable dopey face um you know I, i'm enough of a fan of what he does with his movies uh and even more recently when he didn't um for the the religious nut job movie uh who the the eyes of whoever whoever that um that somebody somebody got <laughs> awards attention for i want to help you <laughs> yeah <laughs> I just um, can't. It, it was it was more of a straightforward telling but it also made so much sense for david wayne to be covering that uh subject matter and it was uh it was actually it was quite poignant and one of those things where it looks at a character that is not ostensibly likable and finds a way to sympathize with her or with them while also being very honest about like, well, this is also why we in general don't like this person. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I like his filmmaking enough that I have seen all of the Wet Hot American Summer spinoffs. Uh, it's just so freaking funny. And and I do remember Brad, Bradley Cooper being very funny in this. I would not have guessed that it's his earliest um, really quick sort by come on sort by earliest first. Wow, that really was his earliest movie, 2001. Okay. All right, going back to sorting by... Can I can I not sort them by popularity manually? All time, there we go. Okay. Thanks for taking this adventure with me, dear listeners. Aloha. I love Cameron Crowe. I don't love Aloha. Oh, that's right. He was in one of the Groot shorts. Um... Yeah, th this is one of the Groot shorts that they've done on Disney Plus. The one that Rocket is in is one of my favorites, and it's a tiny little bit of a tearjerker, so that's nice. The Rocker, I watched this just for Rain Wilson, and it's okay. I don't remember Bradley Cooper in it. Uh, there's one of the 
that first day of camp, one of the uh, Wet Hot American spin-offs, uh, another Groot short. I don't... Oh, he probably... It's probably just off-screen. They probably didn't even animate Rocket for this one, and I think that's it. So, as usual... If anything can be drawn from that as must-see, skip, and sleeper, there you go. Uh, yeah, I, I just love that Wet Hot American Summer waited like 20 years to make a sequel, and then when they did, <laughs> it was a prequel. It's a prequel, and all the actors are like 20 years older. <laughs> so it's old. Yes, it's, I love it. But it's part of, like, you would make fun if yes. you did not know who these guys were. Yeah. There you go, folks. Um, that's a Bradley Cooper, and that's a wrap on us for what was probably a long one, but it was good. So I'm going to go ahead and give us a break, Tom. Um, I'm it Kelly was, Wells. It was fun. And uh, you can find me on social media at Spooky Milk, Tom. It, it was fun, and uh, I'm the guy who's saying, if you're somebody like a Charlotte Flair who tweaks your knee pretty bad in a match, maybe just go ahead and roll out at that point rather than trying to continue and making the injury worse. But Randy Orton, understanding what his body was doing and fighting through that match, whoo, man, tears to my eyes. All right, folks, next week's week we will see you uh, back in Minnesota forever. Cheers. Cheers.